our Critimus series has been our credentials to the world. What is it that takes the experience of this place from just being a church, a Christian church, a Methodist Christian church, a Methodist Christian church in Southern California, a Methodist Christian church in Southern California in Valencia, a Methodist church right here on the corner of McBean Parkway. What is it that makes us, us? What are the credentials that we know to be true about ourselves and that we represent to the world? And so we've been unpacking the seven things we know to be true. You see it on our our home signs, and we still have these. If you want a yard sign, come find us. We have them available to you. These seven things we know to be true about our identity as a church, beyond just the patterns and practices of our lives, what are the confessions that we hold to be true? And this is our final week. And so just by way of review of where we've been, we started with a conversation about your story is important. It's important to God. It's important to this church. It's important to me as your pastor. To know that the story that you have is an essential part of me understanding mine, but more than that, of us being able to do our work for God's grace. Second week, we talked about God's love changes everything. The vulnerable and broken parts of our lives, our highs, our lows, our joys and celebrations, God's love is present in our story, transforms us that we might be transformers of our world. The third week, we talked about the idea that the Bible has a message for us today. That the Bible is not something that we do that has us set at a distance. I am not the proctor of some grand Christian museum where I invite you week in and week out to come in and talk about the things that God used to do or what the Bible used to say, but to have it be real and relevant in your story today. Then we talked about everybody has stuff, and that's okay I'd amend that and say, everybody has stuff, and that is great, because your stuff makes my stuff better. Your stuff can sometimes help my stuff make sense in this crazy world of ours, and your stuff may be exactly what God is going to use to equip the two of us, the 12 of us, the 100 of us together to do God's good work. We talked about all means all, a sense of radical inclusion in the family of God, to say there is nobody regardless of life experience or perspective, that stands outside the walls of this place, looks in longingly, and should have to wonder, is this a place for me? Is this a place where God can be at work in me? All means all in a deep way about how we are experiencing God and how we will come to see God in others. Last week, you got to talk about families. Families come in all shapes and sizes. And what a gift that is, and how necessary it is from the diversity of the family experience to recognize that it is when we are the family of faith and drawing those diverse family shapes and sizes together into the larger fabric and kingdom of God that God has made real and manifest. And today we talk about really what is the start of this work. We are hashtag here for good. Now, this one has a longer history than the work of these other seven items when it comes to an identity that this church has had. The seven things we know to be true were birthed out of a sense of who we really are. They weren't shots in the dark. They weren't tosses at a dartboard. They weren't imagined. It was articulating what Valencia Church has always done. But this hashtag here for good thing has been stuck for a while It actually started in the summer of 2013, some 10 years ago, when Reverend John Shaver was still here. And Pastor John had this vision for trying to brand his social media posts about this church in a way where he could easily search for them, where he could easily reference them. 
And so he started posting things and pictures and stories of the life of BUMC and putting hashtag here for good. Now, if you're confused about this hashtag thing, it's okay. It's a coding term, something that Twitter tried on in 2007 to say maybe we're just nerdy and geeky enough to be able to use a way to sub-reference subgroups of people. Now, some of you know it as a pound sign, and there is some certain linguistic history that suggests it may actually be a, a, a kind of manipulation of the LB symbol from pounds as a way of doing accounting. Some of you might know it as the number sign if you're calculator fans. What it's really called is an octothorpe, but you all knew that. <laughs> so the octothorpe, hashtag here for good. John Shaver used it as a way of reflecting on who we were, and over the course of that year, it just took off like wildfire. It became a means by which they could identify who they were. New members that joined in that season talked about being a church that is hashtag here for good had deep substance and meaning for them. And by October of that year, we had the awesome little window stickers for your cars that you could put out there, and it gave, it gave life to who we were. So by the time, some four or five years later, we were articulating what it meant to be the credentials of this church, we knew it had to include this idea of being here for good. So let's unpack that. What do we mean by here for good? And I want to give you a window into how different people read this, because this was an honest question I had from a friend of mine when I shared that I was coming here. And I started putting that hashtag here for good things in my own personal posts as a way to connect myself to this church. And he asked, with all lovingness, and it, does that mean you're just stuck there? Are you talking about, like, permanence? You're here for good, right? You're, you're like the gorilla tape of church. You can't shake me. One way to understand that is in permanence and longevity, and that's certainly the hope of this place. We long for and pray for that over the witness of 52 years in this place, that there will not come a day where we won't be here for good. But beyond that, I think the deeper meaning that we all try to lead into is not permanence, but difference. That what we do is transformative. That we are not Christians because we are stubborn, but because we are at work in being world changers and kingdom builders. We are deeply tied into making a difference in the world that surrounds us. We are here for good. Now, I want to take a slight sidestep based on some news from the last week and the last two weeks in the life of the Christian community. If you've been following the news, you might have seen a word about the Asbury Revival in Wilmore, Kentucky. It's taking place at Asbury University on the 8th of February, college kids gathered for their regular chapel service. It's a Christian university, so every week they gather for chapel. And when they were gathered for chapel, they heard a sermon that said, to share God's love, you have to experience God's love. With a heavy emphasis on the idea that they had to, for themselves, experience the Spirit in their lives if they were ever going to be effective or able to share that same Spirit with someone else. And that stirred up within these students this revolutionary sense of, I want to experience God more fully. And so they just started singing together and praying together, and there they stayed. And some 12 days later, they're still there. 
Now, sometimes they go home to shower or to eat or whatnot, but there has been this core group that's been handling and handing over the responsibilities for testimony, for leading songs, for swapping in guitarists and those who are going to help lead the worship and and those who are going to bring the word or read a section of scripture. It's all just organic there to the point where the media and those of us in the Christian community have said, this is revival. This is a spirit-led practice where these young people are experiencing something about the very nature of God that is teasing out of them a deeper sense of connection. And I'm not here to rain on that. But here's the tension I live into. If we're here for good and all of that's going on over there, and we are not, this is not my sales pitch, pile into the minivan, we're making a trek to Kentucky, to say that they are doing good there is not to forbid or exclude opportunities for God to be doing good here, there, or anywhere. The movement of God is not tied to one place, one people, or one experience. The rest of this sermon, when I say we're here for good, I am not putting that explanation in a small box with a label on it that says, this is the only thing I mean. God can be at work in the hearts of young people in Kentucky and still be a vibrant part of the worship experience of folks in Valencia, California. Believe it or not, God's big enough to handle that. And in the midst of that manifestation, here's my sense. As I was working on what we wanted to talk about this morning with Here for Good and this this revival experience, is my hope is that those kids find the means to live into the truth of the very first sermon that nudged them this direction. You can't share God's love if you haven't experienced God's love. It is not enough for them to somehow leave when this is all done with a sense that they just have a t-shirt that says, I experienced God's love and all I got was this silly t-shirt. It ought to be manifest in transforming the world by God's grace, love, and mercy. To say that that experience ought to do something to inspire them to be more and do more. And I say that with the utmost seriousness because when I listen to young people, high school students, college students, young adults, the folks who, Sophie, who sings in our midst here, these young people with a passion and an energy for what is going on in the world, they inspire me. And so to that end, out of that inspiration, out of that longing, out of longing to hear from them, I hope, I long for, and I expect of them to do more than just have the experience. And here's my scriptural rationalization for that. It's our text for this morning. It's Matthew 25, and it reads in this way. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all of the angels are with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne. And all of the nations of the world will be gathered before him. And he will separate them, these people, one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He'll put the sheep to his right and the goats to his left. And then he'll turn to those on his right. Aren't you glad you sat on this side this morning? He'll turn to those on his right. And he'll say, come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the beginning, from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. 
I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And all the people on the right, the righteous, said to the king, the shepherd, Jesus himself, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? When did we see you naked and give you clothing? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit or to help you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whenever you do it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, the power of this is an expectation of us to do more and to be more than we might expect. But that expectation is not rooted in anything that is foreign to us. It is a call for us to be exactly who we are called and equipped to be. It is a call for us to do exactly as we are meant to do. We are called to be the sheep my friends, and it is not a pretty invitation. Sheep are dumb. <laughs> and you might say to me, Pastor, not only have I not had any mutton in three months, I couldn't tell you whether my clothes are cotton or polyester. Why would I want to be a sheep? Especially when the cultural paradigm is leaving this model behind and there's so much talk about whether or not we are lions or sheep. Are we being led to slaughter? Are we strong and apex predators? That is not the scriptural model, my friends. While it is not the most flattering image for who we are meant to be, it is who we are called to be. Because the sheep trust the leadership and the pattern of the shepherd. The Good Shepherd uh, series of texts from our New Testament and even those in the Old belie a sense about how sheep operate. They hear and listen to the voice of their shepherd and they follow in faithfulness and trust. They trust to that pattern of life. They lean into it and that pattern helps to shape them. And out of that simple expectation, I will go where you lead me, they know exactly what they are supposed to do. By analogy, it's eat or drink when I offer you that opportunity. Follow me where I lead. But beyond that, for us as the Christian individual, our work in being the sheep is to live into the model that Christ has for us. To be a blessing because we have been blessed. To love because we have been loved. To forgive because we have been forgiven. To show mercy because God has been merciful first to us. To feed another because we have been fed. To provide because we know a providential God. The task is clear because it is everything that we have already received. We simply share it with the world that needs it around us. Being the sheep is what we do and who we are. It's in the beautiful ignorance of their question. Lord, when did we see you naked, hungry, alone, imprisoned, sick, thirsty? And Jesus' answer to them is whenever you do it to the least of these. And we get so caught up in that, but the simple answer to Jesus' point to these sheepy people is... Every time 
you saw hunger, thirst, poverty, hurt, need. You saw me. Every time. You saw in the brokenness of others the face of your beloved. You saw in the hunger of others the visage of the one who feeds. You saw in the thirsty the living water. You do it because you are sheep and you have seen and know the pattern. It's what we do and it's who we are. If you go to our website and you read about these seven things we know to be true, this pattern of our life and who we are as a people, this section on here for good talks about the idea that this is about faith becoming real. How is it that we can take this heady, esoteric experience of faith and belief and have it be real and manifest in our lived experience? How can we take, as these Asbury University students are, are living into it, an experience of the Spirit and God's love and have it not just be contained in one chapel or one bottle or one state or one place or one type of worship, but have it be made real for a world who needs it far more than just these students or just the people in worship today? How do we make faith real? Well, faith is a personal experience. It's about you knowing a God who loves you, yes, but it is best lived out in relational expression. When you take the faith experience that you have and you partner it with others who are in fact here for good and you practice this servant's heart. One of the most powerful images we have of sheep is the one that is lost and alone and recovered. This is about the people of God as the flock and family who are doing the work of good because we follow a good God. So what about the goats? Aren't you glad you sat on this side this morning? What about the goats? Absolutely. Those to the left enjoying their goat cheesiness. Their issue is not one of heart. You hear it in their question. Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, alone, afraid, naked, tired, abused, wounded, or in prison? When did we see you in any of those situations? And the criticism that's offered is not about heart or conviction. It is about action. Because they look at the experience of the others as a question of worth. As I look upon your hunger, as I look upon your thirst, as I look upon your nakedness or your imprisonment, I wonder if you are worth the good I have to offer. If it was Jesus, I'd do it. But you're not him. It's not a question of capacity. It is not a question of heart. It is about living into a mentality that says no matter what, we are here for good. Faith will be made real and made manifest in our common work together out of our sheepiness. Out about doing what we know needs to be done because it is the part, the life and love that we have already experienced. 
I'm not asking you to do a crazy thing. When I say I expect your love to be made real in this place and in this community, I want it to be tangible and manifest in our generosity and the lives we live together. Why? Because we have already experienced a God who has said to us, I love you enough in the midst of your silliness and in the midst of your vulnerability to be real and manifest and incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ for you. So the least we can do with that experience is take our love and capacity and make it real and manifest in the experience of those who surround us. How do we do this? How are we Octothorpe hashtag here for good? Well, the question is simple, my friends. Would you rather be known for your faithful stubbornness or for the difference that you are making in the world. Let's pray on it.